Good to see y'all here. It's a holiday weekend, and I'm glad to see a, a fairly packed house this morning. Hope you all had a good weekend and had a couple of days to rest and relax and recharge with the holiday celebration. Are you glad to be here this morning? Yeah. Amen. All right. Well, I'm glad to be here with you. Uh, as Pastor Gail said, Dr. Boswell is in North Carolina for the next few days, and he asked me to stand in for him today and deliver the message. We're going to wrap up our teaching and our learning on the Beatitudes this week. We've been studying that the last seven or eight weeks, and we're going to continue with that today and wrap it up. We're going to study a topic uh, about persecution. And I thought it was a little bit ironic as I began to prepare this message for today that I'm bringing you a message on persecution on the weekend that we're celebrating the independence and the freedom of our nation. It seemed a little bit contradictory, I think, for a lot of us who live here in the United States of America because we enjoy freedoms that no other nation really enjoys. We have the ability to live as we want and really do as we please, worship as we see fit. And persecution is not something that you and I normally think of that affects our day-to-day -day life here in America. But in fact, Christ has promised that persecution would visit each and every one of his disciples. As a matter of fact, he said it was inevitable that we would all face persecution at one time or another. And it's going to be how we stand in the face of that persecution that he measures our reward. And we're going to look at that lesson today. We're going to study how persecution is a reality for all of us, even those of us who live here in America. And our persecution may be somewhat different. As you guys saw in the video that opened today, there are many people who have suffered and lost lives and lost homes and lost farms and have been imprisoned and have been beaten and even murdered for the sake of their faith. And here in the United States, that's not really a reality for us. What we experience is more of what we would call a cultural persecution, I believe. As the United States moves into an era of a post-Christian worldview where the values of yesterday, the values of the Bible, the values of what Christ has proclaimed for us to live by have become old hat or passe or the vices of the weak-minded, however you like to term it. As our country moves into that realm now, there's going to be a hostility that develops toward the gospel message and toward the law of God and toward those who are the standard bearers for that message, which is you and I. We're going to see that persecution start to rise in our own time. It's already begun. We're already seeing a hostility from government, from different circles, toward the truths that we hold to be important, toward the values that we hold to be important. We're going to see what Christ has to say about that today in the conclusion of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So let's go ahead and begin by standing together in honor of God's Word. We're going to read the passage, and then we're going to get into our study. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. We'll be in verse 1. If not, the words are on your screen here. Follow along as we read. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. In today's passage, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this country that we live in, God, where we have the freedoms that we do. We thank you for the ability to worship as we see fit, to praise you and come together as a church family on any given Sunday and bring our worship and praise to you. We thank you for that, that freedom that you've bestowed upon us, God. We recognize that many in the world don't enjoy these same freedoms, and we stand as brothers and sisters in Christ with them today in solidarity for the persecution that they are enduring. Lord, as we open your word today and we begin to study the truths that you have, have for us here. I pray that your spirit just moves among these people today, opens their hearts, and makes them receptive to the message that you would have them to receive. God, I pray that they hear not the words that I speak, but the truth that you want to communicate into their heart as only you can do through your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that you're with us today, and it's in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, we're going to conclude this study on persecution this morning or with the Beatitudes. We've studied this for seven or eight weeks now. We began looking at the Beatitudes with the first one that says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we began to understand that those who are poor in spirit are those who are spiritually broken. Those who realize that they have nothing that they can offer, that they're wholly and completely dependent on God, that they have nothing that they can do to bring themselves to salvation, and really nothing of any redeeming value or quality before God, but they are completely dependent on Christ. And we began to study once that has been achieved, that brokenness of spirit, realizing that I can't do anything on my own, the different kingdom qualities that become exemplified in the life of the believer because of that broken spirit, because of that dependence on God. And we saw that that led to a, to a, a mourning over the sin that we've committed against God and a heartfelt sorrow for that sin that we've committed. And we saw that it led to the other kingdom qualities, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness those who are pure in heart, those who are peacemakers. And what I want you to see from this is that there's a progression in this teaching of Jesus. These teachings were never meant to be isolated and taken on their own, not taken one at a time piecemeal, but rather grouped together. This is a whole picture, a complementary picture of what a kingdom citizen looks like, what a Christ follower looks like. And this last beatitude concerning persecution is part of that as well. If you want to be merciful, if you want to be a peacemaker, if you want to be pure in spirit, you can expect to endure persecution. That is coming your way, and we're going to explore that teaching here just shortly. But it's important that we understand that we can't pick and choose through these, through these beatitudes and exemplify the ones we like or that suit us or that we're strong in and ignore others. This is a composite picture of what a disciple looks like. And it's no mistake, I think, that persecution comes at the end. Because as we see this progression build and each one of these qualities comes into being and becomes exemplified in our lives, as that becomes more visible to the world, persecution is the thing that will follow. Why is that? Because the world is hostile to the things that we believe. It's hostile to the values that we hold and it's hostile to the truths that are contained in God's word. And when people see that in us, they see that being lived out in our lives and they see that being exemplified, they want to fight back against it. Anger and hatred build up inside where they want to fight back against that, where they persecute those who hold those values to be true and exemplify them in their lives. That day is coming for each and every one of us at one point or another if it hasn't already. And that automatically brings up a question for us. You say, Pastor Mike, well, I'm not really experiencing any persecution in my life. It's not really that tough for me. I do what I want. I come to church on Sunday. Nobody really gives me any grief. Well, I have a question for you. Christ promised that persecution would come to you because you stand out from the world and they will hate the way that you live your life and what you stand for and the values that you stand for. 
So if you're not experiencing that persecution, it makes me want to ask a question. What are you standing for? Are you standing out in the world as a Christ follower, as a disciple? Or are you blending in with the world and disappearing? I think a lot of us today live what we call a comfortable Christianity. We really don't want anything to be too terribly difficult. We don't want it to be too hard. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We blend in with the world. We turn our heads when things go on that are questionable. We don't stand up when truth, or stand up for truth, excuse me, when it's necessary. We don't confront falsity and things that are committed against Christ and against his law and against his word when we see them. We really want to blend in and have a comfortable Christianity. Jesus is going to say in this passage, that's not what I called you to be. And we're going to explore multiple passages throughout the Bible that support this idea that persecution is coming for us, that we were called to it. Not only should we embrace it, or excuse me, not only should we endure it, but we should embrace it because it's what Christ has called us to. I've got five things here in this passage that I want to look at with you this morning that we're going to go through, and I've got a lot of scripture to support it. So we're going to move through this fairly quickly. Uh, But on your screen should be point number one, the recipients of the persecution. We want to identify who these people are first and foremost. We want to know who Jesus is talking about in this passage. Because a, a fundamental aspect of studying scripture is recognizing and understanding who the passage is written to and who they're talking about in the passage. And we see in this passage that he's talking to his disciples. He went up on a mountain, he sat down, and his disciples came to him. These are his followers, his disciples, the believers. And that's who this teaching is directed at. And by extension, it's directed toward you and I. As his followers and as his modern-day disciples, this teaching is just as applicable for us. So we want to look at the recipients of persecution. In verse 10 there, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Now let's break that passage down just a little bit. We spent the last several weeks looking at this Beatitudes and we've talked about the word blessed for several weeks. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think we've come to understand and we can all agree that blessed means approved by God. So Jesus is saying approved by God are those who are persecuted. Let's look at that word for just a minute too, persecuted. In terms of the biblical context and looking at the original language, the word for persecuted here literally means to be pursued or to be chased, or to be ran down like a criminal. That's what the Bible is referring to when it says persecution. Okay, so Jesus says, approved by God are those who are pursued, chased, and ran down like criminals. For what reason does he give? The reason he gives, he says, for righteousness sake. Let's look at that for just a second. Righteousness. When we come to understand what that word means, that appears over and over in the Bible. And I'm not convinced that we have a complete understanding of all that righteousness involves. We know it can't be our own personal righteousness. It can't be our own personal morality because that's kind of a floating target. So when we talk about righteousness, especially in this context, we're looking at righteousness in terms of the standard that Christ set, that perfect standard that he set. When he came and he took upon flesh and he lived in the world, lived a sinless life, that's the type of righteousness we're referring to. The purity that Christ lived, the purity that was in him. So he says, approved by God are those who are chased and pursued like criminals for standing for righteousness, for standing for the standard that I've set. My followers, my disciples, the people who are standing for something that's right. And that's who he's referring to. And I want to further expound on that a little bit. We have an identification that comes out of 1 John in chapter 3. should be on your screen here. If you take a look at it, the apostle John is writing about righteousness as well. And he's talking about how to identify who those are who are the righteous ones 
where they came from and where they've come up until now. He says in verse 10, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. So we see that there's a dichotomy here. The Apostle John has drawn a distinction. He says those who practice righteousness, those who stand for that standard of Christ, those are the children of God. Those who don't stand up for that level, for that bar that Christ set, they belong to the devil. It's black and white. There's no in-between. There's no comfortable gray area where you and I normally like to live. It's black and white. He says you're either children of God or you're children of the devil. And he goes on further to explain that this has always been this way. It's been this way from the beginning. It started clear back in the second and third people from Adam. He goes and he recites the story of Cain and Abel and he talks a little bit about that. He says, for this is the message that you heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. So we see that clear back from the very beginning, the sons of Adam. You remember the story of Cain and Abel. They were called to make sacrifices to God. And Cain was a farmer. He raised crops and he brought a bounty from his harvest to the Lord and offered it as a sacrifice. And Abel, who was a shepherd, brought one of his flock and he offered that as a sacrifice. We see here in this passage that Abel's sacrifice was righteous or approved by God. It was obedient. Remember, God had commanded that a sacrifice be of a living animal, that the blood had to be shed for a sacrifice. Cain brought of the ground what he had worked with his hands, what he had done himself. He was offering the fruit of his labor. God said, that's not acceptable to me. The blood, the life is what's required as a sacrifice. To be Abel brought a righteous sacrifice and Cain murdered him for it. The very beginning of persecution as we see it. The anger rose up, the hate rose up, and it drove Cain to the point where he murdered his own brother because of the righteousness that Abel had exemplified. And we're going to see that that's not the only story. If you read throughout the Bible and specifically through the Old Testament, we see over and over stories of those who stood for righteousness, who lived up to that standard that God expected, and they were persecuted. Often beaten, often imprisoned, most of them murdered. Look at the story of most of the prophets. Nearly every one of them was martyred for their faith, for who they were, for proclaiming God's message and his standard of righteousness. So we see here also in the next passage in 2 Timothy 3.12, there's an inclusion here. Who are these ones who will be persecuted? Who are the ones? He says, the Apostle Paul writing, he says, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It began with Cain and Abel. It has progressed through the Old Testament until now. And he says, going forward, all who want to stand for the standard of Christ, who want to live righteously in Christ Jesus, will suffer persecution. No one will be exempt. The word all here means literally what it says. All means all. There's no exemption. There's no buy to the next level. All means all. We will all experience persecution. And as I said before, that's something that's very foreign, I think, to you and I in the United States of America in the 21st century. Persecution is just not something that we're accustomed to dealing with. And I believe that it's something that is going to be transformed over the next years and decades as it moves forward. And this hostility continues to grow toward the Lord Jesus Christ and his word. And we will begin to see this persecution that he's talking about here. Because we're promised that all will endure it. There's also an instruction here for us. Coming out of the book of 1 Peter in chapter 3, the apostle writing, he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake... You're blessed, echoing the words of Christ. And he says, Do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, 
But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The apostles promised them that persecution is going to come. Suffering is going to come. Hard times are going to come. It's going to come either way. Either you're going to suffer at the hands of God because you've refused his word, you've refused his righteousness, you've refused his son Jesus, and you'll be punished by God, you'll be condemned by God, or you're going to receive persecution and suffering at the hands of man because of what you stand for. Because you stand for that righteous standard, because you've lived up to what Christ has called you to do, they're going to persecute you for it. They're going to say all kinds of evil against you. They're going to revile you. They're going to exclude you. He says that's to be expected, but he says, err on the side of of good judgment. If you're going to suffer anyway, it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And oftentimes I think you and I don't take that to heart. For some reason we seem to think that living below that standard is the easy way out. That it's the less restrictive way. That there's less aggravation, less hassle, less persecution by taking the easy way out. But really, when we get to the end, I think we're going to find that that wasn't the right way. That God had intended for us to take that narrow way all along, to live up to that righteous standard. It's better to suffer here now in this short life that we have here on earth by doing the right things and standing for Christ than it is to take the easy path and inherit condemnation later. Next, we want to take a look at the reality of persecution. Jesus says this, in fact, will happen It's already happening now as you've seen it come about. He says here in verse 11, Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely. The operative word in that passage there is when. It doesn't say if. It says blessed are you when it happens. It's not a possibility. It's a fact. It's a certainty. This will come upon you. And you'll be blessed for it when it does by the way that you react. He says there, Blessed are you when they revile you or when they insult you is what he means there. When they insult you, when they call you names, when they persecute you, as we've already discussed, and they say all kinds of evil against you, or they defame your name, or they slander your good name, they say things against you that aren't true, they look at your motives and the way that you live your life, and they call that evil. Tell me we're not seeing that already in our own time. Those of us who call us Christ, ourselves Christ followers, we stand for the word of God and what the teachings are that come out of this book are already be called, being called haters and intolerant and evildoers because of the views and the values and the beliefs that we hold. That's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. Jesus said, blessed are you when that comes upon you. Again, 2 Timothy 3.12, he says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That word will there is a definite. It's an absolute. It will absolutely happen. You will suffer persecution. He promises it to each and every one of us. Jesus, again, echoing the same thought in John chapter 15, says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world... But I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. He's talking about those who stand out. Christ chose us. He chose his disciples. He chose his followers. And that's why the world hates us, because we're something unique. We're supposed to be. 
We're supposed to stand out from the rest of the world. We're supposed to stand out from the rest of the crowd. We're supposed to stand up for truth and for righteousness. Jesus said, they'll hate you because of that. They'll hate you because they hated me. He continues in the passage there. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. And they did persecute him. We remember that story. He was persecuted all the way to the cross. He was chased about the whole land of Israel, nearly all of his entire ministry, and persecuted by the religious leaders and the elite who were assessing his miracles to the work of demons, who were calling the work that he did evil and on behalf of Beelzebub. You remember those stories? And they eventually they arrested him and they drug him in and they brought him in for a trial and they beat him and they imprisoned him and they whipped him. And then they forced him to carry a cross up a hill where they crucified him. Christ experienced the greatest persecution. And he is our master. As his servants, we can expect no less. We must be willing to walk the road that he walked. That's a hard teaching for a lot of us. We're used to comfort, not persecution. He says, but if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You'll experience the same things that I've experienced. Get away from your comfortable Christianity. Recognize that you're supposed to be a standout. You're supposed to live up to the level that I've called you to. I chose you out of the world. I pulled you out of the world and made you my disciples. Now live like it. He concludes in this passage. He says, if they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. And this leads us into our next point. We see here the reason for the persecution. The reality is real. It's here. We know that. But why? Jesus says it's for my sake. The end of verse 11 there. He says, they'll do all of these things to you for my sake. Why is that? It's because they hate him. It's not the deeds that you do. It's not the actions that you take. It's not the way that you live your life. But it's Christ living in you that they hate that they're rebelling against. Man lives in a continual state of rebellion against God. He hates the things of God because man wants to be Lord. He does not want to take on the burdens of what God has commanded. He does not want to live by the law of God. He wants to live by his own law, feeling free to gratify the flesh in any way that he sees fit. And it's Christ that they see in you when you live that righteous lifestyle, when you stand for truth and when you stand for what is right, they see that in you and they feel the conviction of it and they lash out against it because they hate that thing which lives in you. The Spirit of Christ indwells each and every one of us as Christ followers and that's exhibited to the world when we live our lives the way that God has called us to live them. When we live up to that righteous standard, when we're pure in heart, when we hunger after righteousness, when we become peacemakers, when we're merciful, all these different attitudes that he's enumerated today, when those become exemplified in our life, the world out there sees them and they hate us because of it, because they do not know the one that sent Christ to us and they rebel against it. The Apostle Paul spoke on this in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 1 and verse 29. He said, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here is in me. Paul spoke of the suffering that was going to come upon believers. If you remember the book of Philippians, he wrote it from a jail cell. 
He had been in prison and he wrote this letter for sharing his faith, for planting churches, for going on his missionary journeys. And he wrote this letter to the church at Philippi encouraging them because he says, the persecution that you now see in me is coming for you. You too will endure this same type of persecution. It's not far away. But I want to give you this as an assurance. I want to give you this as a way for you to understand that this is what you were called to. He says in the beginning of the passage, he says, not only was it granted to you to have the faith, but it was granted to you to suffer as well. We know that faith is a gift given by God. It's not something that we can bring up from ourselves. The persecution comes along with that faith. It's a gift as well. If we're called to be followers of Christ, if we're called to be kingdom citizens, we are called to endure suffering and persecution as well. And he expands on this a little bit in the book of Romans in chapter 8, looking at verse 16 here. He talks about the union that the believer has with Christ and how that also is going to cause persecution and suffering in their life. He says in verse 16, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. He's talking about our adoption into God's family here. He says that when your conversion happened, when you placed your faith and trust in Christ, several different things were set into motion. Number one, you were justified. You were declared legally innocent of the sin that you had committed because Christ's righteousness was imputed to you. So that sin guilt, that sin debt that you had has now been put on Christ's side of the ledger and you've received his righteousness. You are now justified or innocent in the eyes of God. Another thing that happens though is that we're adopted into God's family. We literally become sons and daughters of God, co-heirs or brothers and sisters of Christ. We are entitled to all of the same things that Christ is entitled to. We will reap the same inheritance that Christ inherits from his father God. We've become co-heirs. And if you remember what happened to Jesus, he was persecuted, he was taken on a cross, he was crucified, he died... He was buried, he was raised again, and he ascended to be with the Father where he remains today. The Apostle Paul goes on in this passage. He says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. In other words, because we suffer like him, we're going to be glorified with him. He's ascended to heaven and is now with God. The same thing is due for us. We too will be glorified like Christ. One day we too will pass away and be buried. And one day we too will be resurrected into glorified bodies just like Christ. And we are due to experience all of the same things that he experienced, including all of the suffering. But the great thing is, is he says that this suffering doesn't even compare to the glory that we're going to enjoy when that resurrection occurs. Look at verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The persecution that we endure, the suffering that we endure is nothing compared to the glory that we will reap when Christ returns to this earth to take his own. When we are raised from the dead, when we are raised from this corruptible body into incorruption, into perfection, into glory, the persecution and suffering we endure now won't even be a memory. It is so minuscule in compared to what we will reap as Christ followers in the resurrection. Peter as well went on to speak on this very topic, talking about suffering. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? 
says, if you, if you get a beating because you did something wrong, big deal. So what? You probably deserved it. If you're sitting in prison because you did something illegal, big deal. You deserved it. But he says, this is what is commendable before God. When you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable. When you stand here and you endure the persecution, the ostracization, the exclusion, the reviling, all of the different things that Christ promised would come our way, and you take it patiently, and you don't respond with revenge or getting even, that's commendable before God. He concludes the passage in verse 21. He says, for to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. A servant is not greater than his master. If Christ endured suffering and persecution, we'll endure it as well. We're to follow his example. The Bible teaches, Peter says here, that we were called to this. We were called to suffering. That's a hard teaching for a lot of us. Because we tend to think and look at the, at the positive aspect, don't we? Well, I'm going to get eternal life. Well, I'm going to reap blessing here in the body. It's going to be a great life. I have peace. And those are all wonderful things. But we don't look at the other side that we were called to. Suffering, persecution, death, all of those different things. Because we were. We're no different than those people in the first century church. We're no different than those people on the other side of the world who are imprisoned right now and who are being murdered for their faith. We haven't received a special dispensation over here. We're called to the same things that all Christ followers have always been called to and always will be called to, and that's to suffer with him. And it's to follow his example. He endured suffering and he, follow, and he, he endured suffering and he did not fight back. He did not resist, but he went willingly to the cross. He willingly laid down his life for us. We're called to do no less. A servant is not greater than his master. And we see that this example that Christ set and the footsteps that he's laid before us leads us into the response to the persecution. How do I deal with persecution now in my own life? When it comes, what do I do? Verse 12, he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Really? Rejoice? I got to admit, that's probably not what my first response would be. Persecution is a pretty uncomfortable thing, is it not? Extending all the way to imprisonment and death? Rejoice over that? Boy, I don't know. But he goes on to explain himself in other passages in the Bible. He gives us the reason that we're to rejoice. Why we're to be glad over this persecution. Number one, persecution brings transformation. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. So don't think it weird when these trials come along. Don't think it's strange when this persecution visits you. You were called to this. And God is using these trials for what purpose? What are the purpose of trials? They're to refine us, are they not? They're to grow us, to teach us something so that we can learn and become greater Christ followers? The end of our faith is to be completely transformed into the likeness of Christ, is it not? We take who I am today at conversion and we spend a lifelong process of being converted completely into the likeness of Christ. And that will only occur when he either returns to this earth or we join him in heaven. But it's a lifelong process that we know as sanctification. Peter says here in this passage that that's the purpose of trials. That's the purpose of suffering. That's the purpose of persecution. It's to grow you. It's to move you along that path of sanctification just a little bit. 
Each and every time that you and I endure some sort of persecution, some sort of suffering, some sort of trial, we grow just a little bit. We become just a tad bit more like Christ. And a lot of times, for a lot of us, there's some really small steps. And then every once in a while, we get a great big one, and we grow a lot. But it's always going to remain a lifelong process to being transformed into the likeness of Christ. And that's the purpose for the trials and the purpose for the suffering. He says in verse 13, Rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. There again, looking forward to the future, looking forward to the eternal. When Christ comes, when his glory is revealed, you'll have the joy knowing that you've partaken of his sufferings, that you've been moved just a little bit more toward the likeness of Christ. You've taken that inch-by-inch step. You're growing. So we see that transformation comes in the life of the believer through this persecution and suffering. That's why we're to rejoice and why we're to be glad. The end of our faith is to be like Christ. It's not necessarily to get to heaven. While that is a benefit, the end of our faith is to be like Christ, to be Christ-like. So when the transformation and the transformative process comes into our life, we should rejoice over that because we're standing for what we know to be true. We're standing for righteousness. The second aspect is is that persecution glorifies God. If you look at the next passage there in verse 14, he says, If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's an assurance of our salvation. If they're persecuting you for your faith, if they're persecuting you for what you believe and what you stand up for and the way that you live your life, that should be an assurance to you. Because the spirit of God dwells in you and they see it. And that's what they're fighting back against. They know that Christ lives within you, and that's what they hate, and that's what they're fighting against. That's an assurance to the believer of who they are, of the faith that they have in the eternal salvation that they'll reap. He says, don't be upset over it. He goes on in the next verse. He says, on their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he's glorified. They did it with the intent of hate. They are blaspheming God when they insult and revile and persecute you. But on your part, the receiver, God is glorified. God takes glory in your suffering. What do you think about that? That's kind of a hard thing to understand. God glories in my suffering? That's a difficult concept. But God gloried in sending Christ to the cross that we may be redeemed. Is it much of a stretch then to say that God would be glorified in our suffering? Because God knows, as we should know... That as we suffer, we're being transformed more into the likeness of Christ. And we're gaining in that sanctification path. We're moving along. God is glorified through that. He goes on. He says, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. So when you suffer, when they come and persecute you, don't be ashamed of it. Don't hide. Hold your head up high. You're standing for the truth. You're standing for the word. You're standing for Christ. Hold your head up high. He was telling these people, here's, don't be ashamed of it. Don't run and hide from it. Don't be embarrassed that you're persecuted and looked down upon. Don't be embarrassed that you're called Bible thumper or whatever the name of the day is. Don't be embarrassed that you're called intolerant or a hater, or a bigot. If you're standing for his word and for his truth, hold your head high, he says. Don't be ashamed of it. They meant it as an insult, but to you it's a blessing. God is glorified in your suffering. 
Give glory to God when persecution comes and visits you because you're growing to be more like Christ. That's the goal all along. He has been moving you along this path of sanctification to transform you into that. And as it comes along and as we grow and we endure this persecution, it will only get greater. It will only get more difficult. And how we respond says a lot about what we really believe and who we truly serve. A servant is not greater than his master, Jesus said. We should be expected to endure all that he endured. Peter spoke extensively on this idea of persecution and suffering throughout his epistles. It was really the focus of both of the books because it's such a large portion of the life of the believer and what they're to expect as they move along in their path of transformation. You and I need to understand that our response is not to have shame. It's not to be afraid. It's not to shirk back from it. It's not to fight back. Why would we do that? We're being persecuted for what we believe. We're being persecuted for what we stand for. Our responsibility is to recognize what it is and give glory to God for it. There's many a people who have said, who've endured persecution, I give glory to God. It was the greatest blessing in the world to suffer for him. And sometimes, believe it or not, I think you and I here in the United States of America sometimes are envious of what goes on in other parts of the world. I've heard people say in conversation, well, my faith would be stronger if only. If only what? If only I suffered persecution? If only it was tougher to live? What kind of explanation is that? Your faith should be strong because of who it is that lives within you. Your response to persecution should be that of Christ. Holding your head up high, knowing that you're serving the purpose that God has called you to serve. That you're not going to fight back against it. That you're going to willingly go and serve a greater purpose. And this leads us now to the result of the persecution. We've spoken about the recipients and the reality and the the response. Now we want to see what is is the result of this persecution. I've got three quick things here we're going to go through. Number one is there's a rapport with the past. We stand in good company. Persecution is not something that's new. It's been going on since God created man. We talked about it a moment ago in the story of Cain and Abel. That's where persecution began. Abel's sacrifice was righteous. Cain murdered him for it. It's nothing new. Throughout the history of the nation Israel, the prophets were murdered and persecuted for the message they carried for God. Kings were murdered and persecuted for standing for God. Throughout history, there have been those who have stood for Christ, stood for his standards, stood for righteousness, and they've been imprisoned, murdered, persecuted in all sorts of fashions. Jesus himself went to the cross, endured the greatest persecution for our sake. The apostles who came after him, nearly all of whom were martyred for their faith. The original 12, every single one of them martyred for their faith. The apostle Paul martyred, beheaded by Nero. What I'm trying to communicate is that we're not any different. We stand within that great cloud of witnesses. We stand within those apostles. We stand within all those people who have endured persecution for their faith there's a passage here from hebrews 11 that's not on your screen i want to read to you it kind of sums up the idea of what i think uh, what we're getting at here about standing amongst these people in hebrews chapter 11 and verse 32 it says and what more shall i say for the time would fail me to tell of gideon and barak and samson and jephthah also of david and samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms worked righteousness obtained promises stopped the mouths of lions 
Quench the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to, fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. We see there all those people recounted, all those people who stood for their faith and were persecuted for it. And all of the different things that I read to you, sawn in two, hanged, stoned, murdered, beheaded. We stand amongst those people if we hold our head up high and we stand for the truth and we stand for the righteousness that Jesus proclaimed in this beatitude. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Blessed are you when you stand for my righteousness. Blessed are you when you hold your head up high when they call you names when they hold you up as a hater and as an evildoer, blessed are you when all this endures, you stand amongst a good cloud of witnesses. Secondly, we see there's a reality that is present. Not only do we have a rapport with the past, but we live in a reality that's present. In verse 10, it says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We kind of skipped over that here earlier, but I want to come back to it now because it's a result of what happens in our persecution. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're living in it now. It's not something that he was promising for in the future. It was not something they would reap later on. He says, it's here, it's now, they are living it. It is their kingdom. You and I are living in that kingdom today. Christ is on the throne. He is reigning today. He's reigning in the hearts of men. He's reigning in the world. And we as co-heirs with Christ are reigning with him. There's a reality now that you and I live in where we look at things and we see things only in the negative, that things will only get worse, that things aren't what we thought they were supposed to be, that Christ is not ruling, that Christ is not reigning over the world because evil abounds everywhere that we turn. In fact, Christ is reigning, Christ is ruling. Your presence here is a testimony to that. And there are millions like you all over the world who are standing for the cause of Christ and standing for his word and they're being persecuted for it. You live in a reality today where you have the freedom to stand for Christ and not endure a lot of, a lot of uh, backlash over it. But that's not so throughout the world. Throughout the world, it's still a dangerous place to even profess that you're a Christian. There are countries like the Sudan and like China and a lot of Middle Eastern countries where if you even speak the name of Christ, you're headed to prison and most often death. We don't recognize that here in our own country. But we live in a reality that Christ is reigning. He's established for us victory. It's a down payment of what's yet to come. When he returns to this earth and he reigns here bodily, we'll see this come to fruition or to its culmination. But we have a down payment of already. We've got this reality where we have him. We have his spirit dwelling within us. And we're reigning as co-heirs with Christ. Finally, we see one more. There's a reward that is future. The end of verse 12. Jesus says, blessed are you and they revile and persecute you for great is your reward in heaven. This is the only future reward that he promises in this passage. He says that you'll have a reward in heaven. He does not explain what it is. The Bible does not tell us. 
But we know that God being who he is, God being the great creator, God who can do all things, that this is probably something really spectacular. We don't know what it is, but we know that there's a reward that awaits us in heaven. And that should motivate us to be the people that Christ has called us to be. It should motivate us to live out the life that he's called us to live out. It should motivate us to rise up and live to the standard that he's set for us. Because that's really what it's all about today. If I'm not willing to live up to the standard and live up to the things that I say that I believe, of what value am I? Christ didn't call a bunch of people to live in the world and not be noticed. To go through life not ruffling any feathers. To blending in with the culture. To turning and looking the other way when bad things come along. Christ called out a people who were willing to stand for his name. He called out a group of people who were willing to stand for righteousness sake. People who were willing to raise the bar to the next level. To make their life match up to the words that come out of their mouth. And that's really what I want to motivate you people to today is join with me in making my actions and making my life match up to the words that I profess. It's not enough that I make an internal commitment and I go back to my home and I hide out from the rest of the world and I try and blend in at my job and blend in with my uh, friendship circles or whatever it may be. I need to be a standout. I need to be someone that people point to and go, that guy, he's different. There's something about him. I want to know more about that. And that, unfortunately, is going to bring persecution in your life. When you become that type of person, when you become that standout, people will recognize it and they'll hate you for it. But Christ said there's a blessing in that. And that's what we need to hold on to. We were called to persecution. We were called to suffer. But blessing comes with it. Be willing to stand for what Christ has called you to be. Let's pray.